Welcome to You Don't Even Like This Band, a podcast about bands you probably don't even like. We hope you don't know this one. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown, Andy Sell, and Travis Clark. Welcome to episode four of the Steve Earle season of the Unpops Music Podcast, a.k.a. Podcast Cannot Kill My Pain, a.k.a. Washington Podcast Serenade, a.k.a. Podusalem. He's got an album called Jerusalem. That works, right? Devil's Right Pod. (laughs) El Podcastia. Pod to the wall. All right. That was fun. How's everyone doing? What'd y'all do since we recorded last? I ate a hot dog. Oh, I uh, drank some water. I heard uh, Andy put out a lot of hate speech. That was fun. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Threats of violence. Fuck yeah. Uh, I started drinking a beautiful Spring Grove strawberry soda pop from wonderful Spring... I mean, I'm saying it's wonderful. I've never been there. Spring Grove, Minnesota. Sure. That sounds delicious. I love a strawberry soda. It's pretty good. I'll say the lemon sour and the black cherry, I think, are both better than the strawberry, but the strawberry is pretty good. I like the stone sour and the buck cherry. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Stone sour I like. Buck cherry, that's that's a hard one to swallow for me. I'm more of a cherry pop and daddies and stone temple pilots. I really liked Eagle Eye Cherry. You guys ever had that one? Yeah. Real good. That one's delicious. Nana Cherry. Very good. (laughs) So (laughs) the last episode of this podcast, I think we can all agree, possibly the darkest episode we've done. And we did an episode about Jonathan Davis's wife dying. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, the last episode of this got a little heavier than that tbh but it's gonna get better this time around eventually but not right away uh it's actually gonna get a little worse right away because uh in september 1994 steve earl awoke to uh pretty alarming local nashville news report on tv oh okay yeah that can happen when you wake up and you're just like oh what's going on in the world you know find out some like really screwed up things going on flip on the news and you find out that a judge has just sentenced you to an 11-month, 29-day jail term, the maximum possible, and fined him $2,500 for failing to appear in court for a heroin charge. Wow. That, that's, that's a, that is a rude awakening, for sure. Textbook or, definition. That's like four, four, that's four days of drug use. I want to know, this says September 1994. Was it September 11th? Because that you get a good seven years of saying, well, let me tell you about my worst 9-11. Andy, I have never regretted more that I did not send you both the book so I could confirm this. But yes, he turned himself in on September 11th. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, uh, the towers would fall seven years later, but I fell that day. I believe it's what he said. <laughs> it's a day he's never going to forget. That's for sure. So yeah, he when he first hears this, he's like, I'm an outlaw. I'm going to go on the run. And that lasts about a week. And then he's like, fuck this. This is too much. I'm not a real outlaw. This is shocking because this is a, everything we covered in the last episode. Where the, I mean, just the debacle of him trying to record that cover with Joe Walsh alone, like without all of the other stuff. 
does not paint the picture of a guy who's going to change his mind about going on the run. The way he describes it, he was sort of set up. He finally called his lawyer and his lawyer was like, look, they're just trying to scare you. If you turn yourself in, I'll get you to the police station. We'll talk and I'm sure I'll be able to get you a reduced sentence or something. And Steve Rowe agrees to it. His lawyer drives him to the police station. Steve Rowe walks in, the door shuts behind him and his lawyer just gets the fuck out of there. So he's like, oh, I was tricked. Okay, I get it. The old bait and switch. The old, we're going to talk to the police. Nope, you're getting arrested. <laughs> no, they'll, they'll, they'll be very understanding. You know the guys who give you guns? They love you. They just want to chat with you. The guy that was going to arrest your sister's going to be there. <laughs> he should have yeah. just, <laughs> just said, oh, Steve, come on. We got you. A, uh, there's a gun waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> my god did he did he put some he could have put some crack under a box on a stick <laughs> yeah that would have done yeah a little the old elmer fudd lure sure why not coyote trap <laughs> it's <laughs> just paint a big crack rock on a wall be very very <laughs> quiet it's steve o season <laughs> that wascally earl so he enters jail in the throes of both cocaine and methadone withdrawals oh my god Mm. that's that's gotta be a fucking nightmare and the only thing he was given to uh deal with these withdrawals was a blood pressure medication and he had a bad reaction to that his blood pressure drops dangerously low he almost dies so with that they transfer him to a hospital to undergo a clinical detox before officially starting his jail term and against all odds that shit worked i know we said on an earlier episode that him going to prison is how he kicked his drugs no he went to rehab before prison and really took to it oh so rehab can work sometimes wow all right go figure yeah by all accounts he he goes into this rehab and almost immediately is like oh yeah i'm fucking up i should probably straighten out a little bit and like he never he never fucking looks back at this point he was spending almost two hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year on drugs he had lost all of his teeth he'd received numerous police guns uh and was had lost a lot of his career so i think at that point you go sure uh what else you got let's try something different honestly i think part of it too is there's a performance element you know where it's like 12-step meetings he gets to talk and people are going to listen like It's almost like VH1 storytellers, you know, so. Yeah. And even the recovery to some extent would probably be like that, because we're going to talk about the song. I feel all right pretty soon. And that's kind of what that song sounds like is, well, you had all written me off like I was Mm -hmm. dead. And uh, here I am. I'm back. Like he literally says, I've been to hell and now I'm back again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. line. That song is great. Oh, I love it so much. So he's in rehab. And he's not allowed to play guitar at first because (laughs) he won't stop playing Stairway to Heaven. (laughs) He's playing Wonderwall incessantly. So they lock him in a deeper part of the jail. And then I lost all my teeth and they found me in a fetal position on the on the road. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. (laughs) The teeth were part of the Wonderwall cover. (laughs) Everybody, I'm going to bring up a special guest. This is my good friend Joe Walsh, everybody. We're going to do a cover. It's Wonderwall. Me and Joe Wall, it's Walter Wall. We're going to do a five-hour rendition of Wonderwall with Joe. Wonderwalsh. Wonderwalsh. It's right there. I said Walsher Wall, but Wonderwalsh. Yeah. <laughs> so playing guitar was too intrinsically tied to his substance abuse problem. Like he would go on the road 
and that's when his drug problems would kick back up until he could come back home and kick him back up there. Mm-hmm. So eventually it was deemed that he'd made enough progress in his recovery to start playing guitar again. Immediately writes two songs, Hardcore Troubadour and Goodbye. And the latter of those two songs is one of his most beloved songs. He says it's about one of his ex-wives. Justin Towns Earl was adamant that it's about heroin. But uh, either way, it's a very pretty song. Why not both, you know? Yeah, it's a six of one, half a dozen of the other situation, you know? Yeah, he was essentially married to heroin longer than anyone else. (laughs) My life, my love, and my lady (laughs) is the needle. Okay. It's a great song, though. It's a really good song. It's wonderful. I mean, he talks about being high in the song, too, so it's... But before he could record any of that, he still had that jail sentence to deal with. He doesn't get time served for the rehab? The judge insisted that his time in rehab not count toward his jail sentence, which that does seem a little harsh, especially because the rehab worked and he's making all this progress. You'd think at that point a judge would be like, "Okay, you're rich and famous and white. Get out of here, buddy. But no, well, he's famous and white. He's out of money at this point, isn't he? He's it seems like he's never really out of money. I think a lot of the the stuff where he starts pawning guitars is the point where people start trying to kind of cut him off from Uh, the money he still has. mm -hmm. You know, I have money in the bank. I'm just not liquid right now. I have assets. Maybe Steve Earle should have been (laughs) under a conservatorship, you know, possibly. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, though, yeah, it's harsh and we shouldn't criminalize this stuff. Like I, I making it a judicial and, and, you know, legal issue with addiction and rehabilitation is a problem, obviously. But like, I don't know, Steve Earle, it, he does strike me as the kind of guy where it's like you would look at his history and be like, oh, if I've ever seen a case where someone's going to get out of here and immediately start fucking up again, it's this one. So we got to make sure he stays in here a little longer. I don't think prison is the answer to that, but... Yeah, and that was one of the concerns at the hospital he was at. They all lobbied to have him stay longer because they were like, prison is the worst place you can send Mm -hmm. a drug addict. Yeah. But nevertheless, he ends up going to serve this jail term. As one tends to in jail, he saw some shit while he was there, Uh, like the time he watched an inmate get his arm broken over a dispute over a pair of nail clippers, which... uh, Huh. That's a lot. You can just buy more nail clippers, probably. Sure. He, I, Adam, I'm going to say I don't think it was about the nail clippers. I'm going to guess that the you there's know, probably it, something else <laughs> just like underneath that some sub some subtext maybe underlying anger. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. He uh, mostly hung out with two guys he knew from the streets who watched his back in there. Oh, the British rapper, cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Crazy. And Lady Sovereign was in there too. <laughs> They didn't watch his back enough to keep his radio from getting stolen, though. At, at one point while he was sleeping, someone just comes in his cell and steals his radio. And this leads to uh, what's now a pretty famous exchange with a jail friend named Paul Carver. Steve goes to Paul Carver all fucking angry. What's going on, Andy? I was just going to say, what a name. What a fucking name. Paul Carver. Come on. What a name. That's that, that's his jail name. That's not his real <laughs> I, name. I got this because I carved Paul. <laughs> yeah, his, his real last name is Jones. Paul's new nickname is Jack-O-Lantern. So there's this famous exchange where he goes to Paul Carver all fucking angry. And Paul Carver's like, what's your problem? And he says, someone stole my radio and I'm going to go get it back. And that 
obviously was probably going to get Steve Earle murdered in jail. So Paul Carver tells him, this is a quote, you're going to sit your little white ass down and do your little time. And then you're going to get out of here and make me a nice record. That's all. Sometimes that's all you need is someone to trust you to do something for them so that you can feel like you've been given a purpose. And that was the day that Paul Carver became Steve Earle's manager. (laughs) That would not have surprised me. This turns out to be perfectly reasonable advice, though, because shockingly, despite everything that had transpired over the past few years, living on the streets, not writing songs, not even owning a guitar, getting arrested constantly, Steve Earle, while still in jail, signs a new record deal. That blows my fucking mind. Did he? Well, what it is, it's people who have worked with him in the past and they know what kind of songwriter he is and what he's capable of. And it's just people hoping and hoping that he's finally going to turn it around. And one of those people happened to be there when he was in jail and it paid off for them because Mm -hmm. he did turn his shit around. I just can't imagine anyone believing in me, that many people believing in me to that degree for that long through that much shit to be able to be like, Oh, yeah. Here, record deal. Here we go. Steve Earle could have been a cult leader, I think. Absolutely. And I like I'm dead serious. Steve Earle could have led a cult. He is just everyone describes him as like the smartest person they've ever met. The most charismatic, but also like kind of like secretly abusive sometimes. And keep in mind, last episode, he convinced a man to swallow a balloon of heroin that almost killed him. Like he's he did do that. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, Andy, if I was like, take this heroin and swallow it, you would tell me to fuck off. You wouldn't do it. But if I'm (laughs) Steve Earle, you're like, you got it, buddy. I'll do two for you, bud. I want you to like me. But it's only because Andy's a bad friend. Yeah, Andy's a terrible friend. Look, I'm a ladder ladder climber. I'm a clout chaser. He punched me in the neck one night and denies it to this day. Wow, wow, (laughs) wow, wow. I remember. All I said is that unconditional love is not humanly possible. He said, I unconditionally love my brother, punched me in the neck, and then didn't talk to me for three years. <laughs> there's there's some there's some twisted words here. There's some there's there's a there's a there's a there's some things here that have been uh, distorted. I think we can just leave it there though. I think no, that's fine. No, that I'm just I, speaking for my one, truth. I said I unconditionally love Steve Earle. That was the example oh, I gave th- th- you. Yeah. Who you call my brother a lot, because you refer to all white people as your brother, and it's really weird. I would eat. Okay, whoa, what the? No. So while he's locked up, he comes up with ideas for two separate records. The first one, Train A-Comin', which consists of songs he'd written and performed at solo shows way back before his first album came out. But he never recorded those songs but there was still that problem where he had another six months or so to serve in jail before any of that could happen and uh jail wasn't getting any easier but then as if by magic he's just unexpectedly released shortly after signing that deal because as it turned out the whole time he was locked up all these like country music legends start firing off letters to the judge advocating for steve earl and saying he like He seems like he's turned it around. Let's let him out and give it another shot. And that ends up working. And I'm not going to lie. One of the people who wrote a letter was Johnny Cash. If I got a letter from Johnny Cash at any point in my life, I would do anything that letter said (laughs) without question. I would swallow a balloon of heroin and take it to Johnny Cash 
if that letter asked me to. So I get it. I get the judge letting him out. I like that Johnny Cash has that kind of sway over you or just in general. Like any letter from Johnny Cash is an immediate get out of jail free card. I, I, I love that idea. I mean, Johnny Cash was hot again by this point, too, because this yeah. is around the time he's making those Rick Rubin out. Yeah, he's he he and Ricky Rubes are uh, getting to the American recording. Johnny Cash really had some cash with the judge. Sir, you stole a cop car. You burned down a federal center. You killed 30 policemen. You're going to let me just show you this letter I got from Johnny Cash. I, uh, Adam, I, I don't want to go off on a homonym tangent, but your cash reference to C-A-C-H-E. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I was worried that was going to get lost in the shuffle. Oh, Not on me, sir. Not on me. I missed it. I missed it. So once he gets out, he's released on one year's probation and has to submit to weekly drug tests, which is probably a good idea. Mm -hmm. He immediately buys a good guitar because his uh, one of his wives brought him a guitar when he was in rehab. But it was like a shitty Yamaha that he bought before he got locked up. He buys a good guitar. He starts writing songs. One of those songs is I Feel All Right, which we're going to talk about a whole lot later because goddamn, I love that song. And that ends up becoming the basis for the second of the two albums he's working on. Train A Coming was recorded in five days in oh. January 1995. Oh, I remember that now because I looked at these notes earlier, but I actually I, I listened to that record quite a bit before we um, met today. And that's incredible. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting album. It's it's one of those albums of his that I listen to the least, but I I, I respect and understand that mm -hmm. it's a great fucking album. Well, and the the personnel on it involved is pretty impressive too, like musicianship yeah. on there. I mean, Emily Emily Harris is on one. Emily Harris, yeah, sings uh, a, couple, a yeah. duet with him. Yeah, it's basically the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack, but like five years before that bluegrass revival happened. Yep, I, yep. That's very accurate. It's recorded very much in that same style. Steve Earle was alone in his room or alone in one part of the studio, but then all the other musicians were just like gathered around one microphone a lot of times, which is crazy when you listen to how good this album sounds. Like uh -huh. you would not know that they recorded it under those circumstances it's actually mentioned in the book that this album is held up as an example of like what an acoustic album should sound like huh I, yeah yeah i okay. saw mumford and sons do that in concert once just gather around one microphone and play and it remains the only good thing <laughs> mumford and sons have ever done i was there to see portugal the man but mumford oh, and sons was headline good qualifier um, Travis was just telling me that he thinks Mumford and Sons has some good ideas. They do. They have some great ideas. They do. <laughs> um, real quick, not to get off too, too much on a tangent, but the reason they would have to do that one microphone thing goes back to when they actually would record on wax cylinders or even on the record itself. They only had one thing that could capture all the sound. So now when we were here an album, it's multiple tracks bounced together. Back then it was there's one microphone catching everything and it's being recorded all at the same time. Um, it's a really complex way to uh, arrange a bunch of musicians, but the album sounds incredible. Yeah, it really does. And it, it, it really does kind of anticipate that whole bluegrass revival that kicks off around 2000. One interesting note, the second song on train of coming, it's called mercenary song. It's a song he performs in that heartworn highways documentary that came out in 1974. And it's such a cool scene. 
It's n- and it's not just like that he wrote that song, you know, 20 years before this, you know. It's that he, it was well known enough that if you when we watch the scene in that documentary, this people in that room are singing along with him. They know the song. Like he's performed it enough that they that it's like a song they know the words to. And the, and not just that, but they're like in awe of it. Like when the scene it. kicks off, Guy Clark looks at the camera and goes, listen to this song. Yeah, this is the song. Yeah, and like the whole room is so into it. And yeah. Steve Earle's 19, I think. He's, he's a baby. He's a kid. It's, it's wild, too, because that song, it's like, I feel like to take that song seriously on a studio album, it would have to be recorded by 1995 Steve Earle as opposed to 19-year-old Steve Earle because he's just this kid singing about mercenaries and it's like, wait, what? Is that why he, like, is there a reason why he just kind of left this song that people knew and loved off a record for 20 years? Well, I think it, by the time he recorded Guitar Town, he was more in like a Springsteen mode. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because Born in the USA had come out a couple years earlier and he's so into Springsteen and like country music at the time when that first album came out, they were like, this isn't country enough. This is more rock as opposed to country. Mm -hmm. So I think he just had moved in a different direction by then. Yeah, I think also you kind of like, you know, you get tired of things, you know, when you're younger, quicker, I think you, you might. Be like, okay, well, under the new thing. I, yeah, that song, whatever. I don't care anymore. Yeah, but this you know? is a guy who'll pawn a plane ticket at the gate. If you have a song that people like, you're like, well, here you go. I'll sell you this. Yeah. Well, I actually, that is actually a good point because I left this out. But a couple of the things that sustained him when he was living as a junkie, basically, is one, the guy he got in an argument with at the Oak Ridge Boys Mansion and called Short. <laughs> yeah. Put together a compilation album of Steve Earle songs called The Essential Steve Earle. And that came out during that time. So he was financially supported that way. And there's also an album called Uncut Gems that is other artists performing songs Steve Earle wrote. And that came out around that time too. So he was kind of surviving on his old work Mm, yeah so uh in typical steve earl fashion there was a little bit of friction between him and the record label when train a coming is released he's not on mca anymore by this point that deal ended after the shut up and die like an aviator fiasco (laughs) this time around the dispute was around the sequencing of the album steve wanted the song mystery train 2 to be the first song on the album But the head of the label was worried that because the song starts with a fade in, radio stations wouldn't play it. And let me tell you, I have been racking my brain to figure out why the spot that song is on the album would play into that at all. Yeah. If you're worried about the fade in, they're not going to play it if it's the last song on the album. Like it has nothing to do with it. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those executives giving a note to justify their job. Uh, the fade in at the beginning, uh, they won't play it. Yeah. And the problem is contractually, they had the right to put that album out in whatever order they wanted. So they just moved mystery train to the end of the album, unbeknownst to Steve Earle until he gets his first copy of the album, at which point he shot it up with a 50 caliber gun. Well, you know, here's the thing that might seem a little extreme, but you got to keep in mind that mystery train Two 
is the song on the record that has the record's name in it, in the lyrics, when he says, trains are coming, that's in that song. So you don't want, I mean, that's got to be first. That's got to be the first thing so that the listener can relax. You don't, you don't want the listener listening to the entire record going, when's the train a coming? When's the train a coming? And then it gets to the end. They're like, okay, well, now the trains are coming. And I don't care anymore. So it needs to be first. So he's absolutely right here. Well, yeah. And he was just right, like, for real. Also, if yeah. you listen to yeah. it, that song absolutely should have been. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great opener track. But also how how you change things is by shooting them. Sure. And also, too, you got to go, oh, man, I don't like the way this record sounds. I need to get a gun. Anybody know a cop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did he have a gun already? A 50 caliber gun when he went to the cop station. Well, it's just like the guitar. Once he's further along in his progress now, okay, you can go back to having guns now. When I was in prison, they gave me a 22. But when I got out, I got a good gun. You know, someone gave me a good gun. A 50 cal. That's like a desert eagle. Like that's if it's a handgun like that's that'll break your thumb off if you shoot it wrong. Yeah. He also called the head of the record label just completely irate and the guy says uh steve how about you just call me back when you're a little more calm and steve replies dude if i were you i'd keep me on the telephone because then you know i'm not coming to your house he also told usa today in an interview later that if he'd had a driver's license at the time he would quote be in jail for assault right now i probably would have gone off and gone in and hurt somebody so hold on the lack of a driver's license is what's stopping him from committing the crime of breaking hey, and entering an assault and battery. He doesn't want to reoffend. He doesn't want to reoffend. He's on probation. Well, if you get arrested on the way, you're just going to have all this pent up energy. That's true. That's true. And also, you know, you don't want to revisit the same crime several times. Like he's probably never killed somebody before. So, you know, but he's definitely been arrested for not driving, for not having a license before. Right. Two things about sober Steve Earl. One, still super angry and dark. Two, really love his logic of like, dude, you're going to want to keep me on the phone because otherwise I'm coming to your house. I'm like, oh, that's actually, he's doing the guy a favor. He's giving, I'm I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Here's how you keep me from coming to hurt you. And then when you're on the phone, he knocks on the door and goes, surprise, I'm rich. I got a cell phone already. (laughs) Motherfucker. It's one of those ones that looks like a suitcase, but it works. It, my, 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 my cell phone looks just like a 50 caliber handgun, I, motherfucker. I, I got an extension cord so I can keep it plugged into the cigarette ladder while I walk up the I got me one of them Uniden cordless phones. I got it plugged in. I'm just, just long. Good range. Yeah, I, I do think that's funny that you keep me on the phone. If you if you can hear me, you know I'm not there. It's like if you can see, it's like the shark's fin, you know? If you can see the fin, it's not swimming under you. Be funny if they were still on the phone to this day. <laughs> the only reason he's still alive hold on i'm gonna record a song (laughs) they want me to be in an episode of the wire i'm just gonna put you on hold real quick if verizon had had the heinz or the foresight to make him the can you hear me now guy he's just walking can you hear me now (laughs) i'm not at your house can Can you you hear hear me me now now? not at your house keep me on the phone nevertheless this album is released to widespread acclaim everyone loves it it gets nominated for a grammy so it was fine. I do agree with him that Mystery Train should have been the first song, though. No, for sure. Totally. How it, about it that? is on the Spotify one. It is. And that's how it is on yeah. the on there. Uh, shout out to Spotify. Um, I have no dog in that fight. Uh, oh, that is interesting, though. I bet yeah. he probably arranged that. It's uh, it's not in the notes, but how about that Beatles cover he does? Oh, like my it, God. I'm looking through you. Yeah. Yeah. 
but but also too like what that means to him at this point in his life i'm looking through you you're not the same like it's I don't know. It, it really struck me when I listened to it. Well, and then Rivers of Babylon too is is uh, you know there's there's got to be a personal connection to that as well. Yeah, it's it's a very good album. It is a, a tremendous album. I just because it came out in such close proximity to I feel all right. I've always just leaned more towards I feel all right because I like it better. This was your speaker box love below kind of thing, right? You were more of a hey ya guy, yeah. Yeah, again, the album, it's mostly songs he wrote back in the 70s, a couple covers, and then the song Goodbye is on that album also. His voice sounds great. It really does. Yeah. He credits crack for that. Here's a quote. When you're sitting around and sticking needles in your arm and smoking crack, then your voice gets some rest. So some good comes out of everything. Yeah, so it really is like a Buddhist retreat when he was, you know, in South Nashville on his vacation. Like, you know, it's it's like meditating. Yeah, people don't realize it. But whenever you hear that your favorite musician is taking a break to rest their vocal cords, they're smoking crack. Very much so. A lot of uh, voice teachers were like, you know, if you feel tension in your throat, just uh, smoke a little crack, you know, give yourself a break. Yeah, maybe some maybe some tea. <laughs> So yeah, some 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 crack tea. It's really good. Very it coats the throat. The crack, crack, honey, and lemon. <laughs> it's a combination master cleanse and throat coat. It's real good. And if you have a cold, whiskey and crack. Whiskey and crack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, you know, when I was teething, my my parents used to rub crack on my gums, you know, to kind of give me some relief. So you'll note that in that entire bit about the train of coming album. There's one thing that never gets mentioned. Drugs. There's one reference to him being high in in Goodbye. He references that he was maybe too high. Like, but that's yeah, but you're right. Other than that, it's like a drug. It's a I mean, in what we just talked about. Oh, you mean behind the behind the music. Yeah, there's no yeah. <laughs> no stories about him freaking out and disappearing mm -hmm. and laying in the fetal position on a sidewalk in Hollywood. And uh that's because again, going to rehab really did change him. This is a quote from Patrick Earle. Just all of a sudden, he was aware and was sensitive, and conversations went back and forth, and it really hadn't been like that for a long, long time. And this is the guy who the last we heard from him said, I thought I, I, thought I was going to, he wasn't human anymore, and I thought I was going to find him dead. Like, or yeah, he wasn't human anymore, was the, was the, was, that's what the last thing he said. So this is like, you know, this is our return of the Jedi to last episode's Empire Strikes Back, the Empire Steve's back. Um we get the yeah this is i love this i love it and in another sign that things were taking a turn for the better after years and years of being bitter about being shunned by the institution steve earl was finally granted entrance to the grand old opry hey good for you steve yeah nashville yes. thought guitar town was too rock oriented everything after that was a little more rock oriented than before but mm -hmm. with train of coming they were like, that's what we've been waiting for. So he finally got to perform at the Grand Ole Opry. Emmy Lou Harris sat in on the set. I would have liked to have great. seen that. That would have yeah. been awesome. Have you ever been to the Grand Ole Opry? I have not, but I would love to go. Yeah, I haven't either, but I, I wouldn't want to go just to go. Like, I'd want to see somebody interesting there, you know, like Megadeth. Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. Limp Biscuit at the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> I did see Miranda Lambert in concert at the venue buddy holly performed at right before he died a plane it's in iowa iowa yeah yeah so in november 1995 he finishes the i feel all right album and god damn do i love this album it is it's, it's, amazing. it's one of my probably 
top 10 or 15 favorite albums in general of all time. I love it. It's so good. It is a really good album, but it's also really interesting that he did this much output this quickly. <clears throat> like, well, sorry. I, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. And I think it's, <laughs> I think it's interesting that the previous album was, you know, his kind of like light and sunny album for the most part. And then this is the album that's all about tackling his demons and recovery and like all the ways in which he's failed. And it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like he had to do it that way because it's like, the, the previous album, it's like a couple of old songs and then mostly just covers after that. And it's so it's just like he's still not thinking about it. he's just doing it to do it. He's doing it to do it to have something to do so that he's not consumed by his addiction, you know, after while he's still in recovery. It's also kind of his in your honor thing. You know, I got your acoustic album and I got your more rock oriented yeah, album. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's almost a double album. Yeah. And, you know, one's the melancholy and the other's the infinite sadness. The title track is so fucking good it's one of my favorite songs ever i added that song to i have this playlist it's like my it's like my my trusted song it's called lifesavers and it's all the songs i that like really do it for me uh and i added that song to it today it's it's an amazing song weird side note he is credited as a writer on the song kerosene by miranda lambert because that song if you listen to that and I feel all right back to back. Kerosene is a complete ripoff of I feel all right. It by all accounts happened like subconsciously, but yeah, there's even like a harmonica solo in the same <laughs> spot. Like they are identical. And after that song came out, Steve Earle was like, uh, that's my shit. You, you, you just copied my song. And Miranda Lambert and her people were like, oh, yeah, we did shit. <laughs> and they just gave him writing credit instead of making it a lawsuit. So good for them. And kerosene yeah. is a fucking jam and Miranda uh, Lambert's great. And uh, if you get a chance to go watch the video for kerosene, uh, read the comments because it's all about how Blake Sheldon's an idiot. Why would you let this girl go? <laughs> it's really funny. I, I, I went down the rabbit hole of reading the comments on that video for a bit. Miranda Lambert's great. She's probably my only favorite modern country artist. Like, she's more Steve Earle, Johnny Cash than... Yeah, she's got a... Oh, yeah, of like the pop, of the more pop country, of the more popular country stuff. Yeah, she's she's up But there. she has a swagger and an attitude to, towards her that doesn't feel like a, um, a stage persona. It seems to be kind of like who she is. Yeah, she's great. Anyway, for my money, there's not a single bad song on this album. Like my my least favorite song is Bonnie and Billy, just because I have to have. Oh, I like that one a I lot. Like that, that one, one yeah. too. Yeah. The unrepentant sounds a lot like I feel all right. Uh, I don't care to I me, but it. it's yeah, it's still so fucking good. That song is so. That song is about like terrorism. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> we mentioned it a little earlier, but we should talk about cocaine cannot kill my pain. I just I just love that this song puts them it gives them a gives him sorry I just love that this song gives Steve Earle another thing in common with Corn you know CCKMP is his Adidas sure but CCKMP looks like something that would be on the side of a Russian rocket during the space race you know you're like oh I guess they're going to the moon cool good for them yeah it's a very interesting song the recording of the song is very interesting there's this weird growling ambient noise that you hear from time to time throughout the song the way that happened uh, before he recorded the song he went across the hall to the studio that was occupied by country group diamond rio and asked if anyone had a tire <laughs> iron 
And uh, naturally, someone did. Here's the thing. If I'm in a country band and knowing everything I know at this point about Steve Earl, and he comes in asking for a tire iron, I'm not fucking giving him a tire iron. Yeah, why? You're going to rob me with it? <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, yeah, we have one. Why? Do you got a flat tire? And he's like, nope. Just takes the tire iron, goes back in the studio. And uh, what he did is he had his producer mic up this metal banister that was outside the studio. Mm. And then he had a roadie beat on that banister with the tire iron. And that growling noise you're hearing is that banister resonating from being hit by this tire iron. You really think it's a guitar or something is yeah. what it sounds like, like a real fuzzy guitar. But I, I love this story, one, because it has to do with sound design. But also, two, I love that Steve Earle goes to another band and is like, uh, y'all got a tire iron writing a song about cocaine. And they're like, yeah, yeah we get it. Here you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing the darkest song I'm ever going to write. I need I need to hit something. They're like, yep. don't, don't you have a tire iron in your car? And he's like, no, <laughs> a car. I don't even have a license. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to drive. And there's one son of a bitch who's lucky yeah. for that. Yeah, I just got like six police shotguns, so I can't. I can't really use those. <laughs> I got a fifty cal. I got my, from my friend on the force. <laughs> I'm gonna go shoot this record when it's done. Like shoot it. I'm gonna shoot this record. I'm gonna record the sound of the record getting shot. I'm gonna put that on my next album. So that's a heavy song. Cocaine cannot kill my pain. It really is. Uh, go listen to it, listeners. We'll we'll link to it in the notes. And I think you uh, you talk about it here a bit, but it's like it, most people, when they write a song about drugs, it's either about like, oh, I got to get away from this drug or, oh, being on this drug is the best. And this is like, someone free me from this. Someone just take this away from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it is an incredibly dark song. He, he it, sounds like he's in trouble on that song. It, it, it captures, yeah, the oblivion of like that kind of addiction, I think better than maybe any other song. The album as a whole, though, the way we're describing it makes it sound like it's just dark from beginning to end. But there are, there are some really great upbeat numbers mm -hmm. on this. Hardcore Troubadour is about dark subject matter, but it's a very fun song. Mm -hmm. uh, more Than I Can Do. Also dark, but, but it's again, it's a fun song. Yeah, More Than I Can Do, if you really buckle down and listen to those lyrics <laughs> okay it is bad times it's like like that run for your life song by the beatles yeah. more than i can do is one of those songs where you're like i don't care if this is about a person or a drug it's not okay either way <laughs> yeah but i think all of this kind of checks out with like what uh what was his brother patrick said that he's a lot more sensitive and aware now mm -hmm. like these songs have an awareness of what this stuff did to his life whereas that was before it was like more just storytelling this is now like i kind of know what i've been through which is kind of new right am i wrong no yeah it's it's definitely his most personal album mm -hmm. yeah and and even like hurting me hurting you is you know sweet heroine <laughs> Uh, he's, you know, he's, and, and even, and now she's gone as well. Like these are songs that like when he was writing previous songs about his relationships with women, they weren't at, they weren't this mature, you know, they didn't see. And, and that's funny because one of these I think is an older song, but they weren't, you know, they weren't, they didn't have this level of like self-awareness. I don't think. And especially now she's gone has one of my favorite lines in it where I, she blew through my life. Like she was like, she came in my life like lightning and blew out the other end. It's like. <laughs> Jesus, dude. This is a quote from Steve Earle about 
this album because he says it's an album that uh, will never be repeated or recreated in any way because, quote, the year in which it was made, I changed more than I ever have in my life and probably ever will. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. What's interesting about it is whereas Train O'Cummon kind of anticipates this whole bluegrass revival, at the same time, I feel all right really sort of predicts another thing that happens about five years later, which is the Americana movement, no depression movement, alt country, whatever you want to call it. But like bands like Whiskey Town and the drive-by truckers. Lucero. Yeah, that's what I feel all right sounds like. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I I, I could hear some of that alt country stuff on, you know, his earlier records too, but not like that. I mean, this is just, yeah. I also got kind of a, I think I said this about one of his earlier albums too. I got kind of a petty vibe from it, mm. Tom Petty. Like, like a like. You mean the part where he uh, shoots up an album cover because it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. the order he wanted? That does seem petty. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very petty indeed. No, I thought you were talking about when Tom Petty shot uh, wild uh, wildflowers with a with a fifty cal. <laughs> no, it was Full Moon Fever. He shot. Okay, he was okay, like, yeah. He, yeah. Well, that's because he was a werewolf. He was trying not to hit the Heartbreakers because that's a Tom Petty solo album. Everybody. Yeah. Oh, all right. He was free free aiming. <laughs> so yeah, this this album gets him a lot of play on rock stations the one surviving copy of the i feel all right video that you can find on youtube is uh recorded from mtv2 which at that point was still kind of a cool offshoot of mtv as opposed to just being another mt i don't even know is mtv2 still a thing i haven't watched mtv i shit you not in about 10 years like nothing on mtv at all you know what no one talks about is mtvx did anybody ever watch that or was it literally just me oh i remember that but mtvx i watched yeah. mtv triple x where it was just all the vjs fucking each other all the time yeah 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 but this was uh uh just before that oh, okay all right. yeah well yeah i mean of course you can't have one you can't have three x before you have one x like you you know no so yeah this this kicks off a really insane hot streak of really great steve earl albums that we are mostly going to skip talking about because as great as they are there isn't a lot of entertainment value to be had in us just repeatedly saying yep it's a great album it's a great album it's a great album yeah i I think we should try this though like i don't know i don't think you'd know till you try we should do like seven more episodes that's just us going yeah it's a great album yeah but they're like they're 30 second episodes of us going like oh we gotta cover uh el corazon uh really great album you guys should check it out uh that anything to plug el corazon <laughs> is great though i don't know if yeah. either of you have listened to it yet uh it was released in 1997 way more rock oriented album than any of his previous stuff he has a song with the super suckers on it yeah yeah oh. it's called new york city very good song. He also has an album of like B-sides and rarities called Sidetracks, and he has a Super Suckers cover on that album. Uh, he covers Creepy Jackalope Eye. So good. So fucking good. I, cool. I know no one knows who the Super Suckers are, but I know who, I know the who they are. Yeah. are. <laughs> what are you talking Fucking rule. So yeah, El Corazon, that comes out in 97. In 99, he releases a straight up bluegrass album called The Mountain, which was a collaboration with the Del McCory band. Great album. He and Del McCory on the subsequent tour had a falling out because uh, Steve Earl cusses a lot and uh, he cusses from the stage. 
And Del McCurry, th- there's some rumblings that Del McCurry was also upset that he was opening for Steve Earle because he's like, I am uh. the king of bluegrass. And now this <laughs> upstart makes an album with me and he's headlining. So they have all this conflict. And at one point, Del McCurry is quoted as saying there's no room in bluegrass for vulgarity, which is why on Steve Earle's next album, Transcendental Blues, in between one of the songs, he says, remember, friends, there's no room in vulgarity for bluegrass. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) The Transcendental Blues album's interesting because there are almost no choruses on it, which I don't think was intentional. Like, they don't ever point that out. But if you listen to it, very few. So go listen to all those albums in your own time, America, if you want. I want to go listen to them now. I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's take a break. Yeah, take a break. We'll listen to him. It's just a, there's not much, like, there's no real conflict around him. He was just, at this point, just super confident in his songwriting. And he was putting out great albums because he wasn't fucked up on cocaine and heroin. What a crazy turn of events. Like, think about that 1991 year we talked about where I was like, how is that all one year? And then we're now five years five-year period and he had one disagreement with a bluegrass musician like that's it yeah he he like he came out of that a completely different person and uh for the better which uh, that's great yeah it's amazing i mean it's amazing it's 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 rare that this is the way that like when that story gets to that point i feel like it's rare that this is where it goes you know and especially with him being more productive it, it almost is like the fulfillment of that diego maradona thing where he's like you're lucky i was on drugs all these years because i would have changed country music four times this is a quote from him from around that time i used to see bob dylan as doing something that was way way out of my reach And now I see him as just a very, very good songwriter, which doesn't mean that I think less of him. It just means I think more of myself. That sounds arrogant, but it's not really meant to be. Being arrogant will kill you, but not knowing your own worth is just as and maybe more toxic sometimes. Fuck yeah, Steve Earle. That's huge. That is such a far cry from the quote that ended the last episode, which Mm. was his sister saying, I thought about putting a pillow over his head. And smothering him to death. Even he himself was saying about that time, like, I thought I was supposed to die and just didn't know why it was taking so long. Right. You know, to go from that to being like, you know, that that huge trick that when you're doing anything creative or maybe even just anything at all that like is a pursuit for you where you realize like, oh, the trick is to just do it. You know, like these other people that I've like idolized this whole time, like I see the trick now. I see how they do it. And now I can do it, too. It's just like that's that's huge no matter who you are or what your story is or what your problems are. But for it to be like this guy who was on that trajectory to have that kind of to have that kind of realization, it's like it's enormous. And I think also, too, as someone who was born in Georgia and grew up chronically southern, there is a a weird thing in the south where you're almost not allowed to have a high opinion of yourself. It's viewed as yeah, that just simply isn't done. That's the Midwest, too. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, maybe it's a, a bit of a low lying overall um, Americana thing. But I love that at this point, he's like, I'm not being arrogant. I'm just saying I believe in myself and I have I have another set of uh, experiences to know that I'm not wrong to think this about myself. And I think that's a huge part of probably why he turned his life around is that he doesn't have to view himself as somebody who is a less than he can view himself as someone who has something great to offer. Yeah. It's, it is an impressive turnaround. That's for sure. 
And yeah, you're right. We probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if he died. Like then it, I have another podcast called Celebra Tragic, and we probably would have covered Steve Earl there if this story went a different way. Well, think about, you know, back to Heart Shaped Pod, like Kurt Cobain's the other side of this, you know, mm-hmm. it's if the drugs don't kill you, the depression does, you know, or or Courtney Love does, depending on your opinion. But or your wife, which, yeah, yeah. which could have been very much a possibility with Steve Earl, too. What if they just all teamed up and killed him? I mean, Duff, Duff McKagan is the com is the connecting tissue, I think, in both of these stories. And I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Duff McKagan killed Steve Earl. That's <laughs> not really Steve Earl. This is Avril Lavigne in a Steve Earl costume. It's a doppelganger. Yeah, we don't know what Slash has looked like this whole time. <laughs> oh, no, that's why he wears that hat. Yeah, he's Steve Earl now. <laughs> so, yeah, Steve Earl, he goes on from here. Like, by this point, he's so in demand as a producer because he's also producing all of these albums that he's releasing. Uh, he ends up being a really in demand producer and produces uh, Lucinda Williams' 1999 album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. She won a Grammy for that. He and Ray Kennedy, his producing partner, won Producer of the Year at Nash- the Nashville Music Awards for that album. So that's neat. That's a nice little uh, feather in the old cap, in the old slash cap. And uh, it's also the end of the episode. Next time we're talking about stuff that is not in the book Hardcore Troubadour, although we will revisit it on a later episode. Uh, just a reminder, I cannot recommend reading this book enough. I promise I'm going to send it to Andy and Travis after we get done recording. But uh, you can buy it on Amazon. I'm excited to read it. It's very good. It's a quick read, too, if because it it's a it's an engrossing story. Like, you'll get into it for sure. So, until then, uh, maybe go give the albums Jerusalem and The Revolution Starts Now a listen, because uh, that's what we're talking about next. Oh, the, that's his, uh, the Revolution Starts Now is when he starts getting even more political, right? Well, Jerusalem is where... What oh, okay. tipped you off? Was it the word revolution in the song, or the album title? Andy... And- Andy, don't punch me in the neck emotionally. Oh I'm trying God. to, I'm just trying to, just trying to do a podcast with you, Andy. You don't have to shit on me every chance you get. Wow. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry Travis. I'm sorry. I actually don't care. You're right. Uh, that was a real shitty comment on my part. No, we're, f- you're fine. What do you, look, we're still friends. Everything's Listen, you know, okay. uh, it's just, I, sometimes I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking like, why is it taking so long for me to die? You know? <laughs> Same. You gotta eat more. You, you, you gotta eat more mac and cheese with jalapenos in it. Yep. There you go. Don't ever get your stomach issue fixed. So yeah, Jerusalem is the album where he gets super political. That's where it starts. That's the album that has John Walker's blues on it, which is a uh, kind of yep. sympathetic song about an American who joined the Taliban. John Walker Lind, the American Taliban guy, gets his own sympathy song. Yeah. It's it's hard to explain. It's not really a sympathy song. It's just Steve Earl trying to understand how this would happen and why. It, because because he had his kid at the time was the exact same age as John Walker Lynn. So he writes this song like, how the fuck? How would this happen? <laughs> like, how does a kid from the United States end up joining the Taliban? And that's like the perspective of the song pleased to meet you hope you guess my name's john walker lind woo woo it's not him like praising john walker lind in an upbeat punk song this next song is about a guy who had some really good ideas (laughs) (laughs) what's crazy about it is how close in proximity it comes out to 9-11 like that album and song come out 
just over a year after 9-11 when well that's when lind lind was post 9-11 he didn't happen before 9-11 yeah, yeah. did he no but if you think back to what the country was like after 9-11 yeah. oh yeah like yeah. i don't think any president has spoiled more goodwill in history than george bush because right after 9-11 everyone was like fuck yeah george bush and then like a week later we're like what are you doing this isn't the thing but for a long time if you criticize george bush it could especially if you were moving in country music circles yeah oh that's, yeah that's the thing that's dixie the thing. chicks calling dixie chicks yeah the yeah. dixie chicks they really got it like yeah. and Steve Earl, like Steve Earl, the thing he has going for him, and he says he's I've read interviews where he says this is in the big scheme of things, he's still relatively obscure. So yeah. he can get away with shit like writing this song. And it's like, so what's going to happen? I'm going to sell 60,000 albums next time instead of 80,000. It'll be fine. <laughs> right. There's a story about him writing John Walker's blues where he uh, he's talking to Elvis Costello and he tells Elvis Costello what the chorus of that song is, which is Steve Earle singing. There's no God but God in Arabic. Wow. <laughs> and Elvis Costello goes, don't do that. Why would you do that? And he fucking does it. And uh, it becomes a whole thing. So, uh, yeah, listen to those two. Al They're both great albums. The Revolution Starts Now is probably my second favorite Steve Earle album. And Jerusalem is just interesting from beginning to end. So uh, we'll talk about that next. That sounds fun. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Until yeah. then, do we got anything to plug before we get out of here? Do we, uh, Andy? Andy, how about you? Do you have anything to I, mustard plug? Oh, so listen to my new mustard plug podcast, Pod for Mojo. Uh First episode will be called Through a Pod. And uh, sorry, um, Look It for the Boys. Listen to Look It for the Boys. And yeah, Borgo School is coming, I guess, at some point. I keep I, I say that every time, but it's like, who knows when. But Look It for the Boys. Listen to it, please. And rate and review us. <laughs> I'm like doing the rate and review for my other podcast on here. This is where I, this is how, the, mm, this is where I'm at. <laughs> Travis, do you have anything to plug? The only thing I'd really plug is I'd say if for some reason you haven't listened to any of our other music podcasts, go check out either Heart Shape Pod or $3 Pod, y'all, or Podcast Supernova or uh, Got the Pod. <laughs> Got the Pod! Pod the Life, sorry. I get the I get the pods confused. Pod the Life! Got the Pod. <laughs> that would have been good, too. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's it. Let's get out of here. Travis, say goodbye. Good. Bye. Andy, say goodbye. Goodbye. Syphilis bear, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Hey, Andy, just real quick, how about a hug before we go? A goodbye hug to your buddy, Barry, the syphilis bear. Andy, give syphilis bear a hug. Before Come on, you just a little You can't tell hug. me what to do until I see a letter from Johnny Cash telling me I have to hug syphilis bear. I'm not doing it. I, I, I think we could make that happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You don't know what Johnny Cash's handwriting looks like. Fire off a letter, no problem. All right. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.